Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we're going to continue our series, Higher Education, and we're allowing God to take us to school as we learn familiar subjects, but we're learning them through a divine filter. And last week we looked at the social studies of God. I told you that Jesus taught with authority, he taught with compassion, but he also taught in a very practical way so that the common person could understand. And in doing that, he taught us how to interact with one another. And we, we just kind of blitzed that last week. We went through so many different scenarios and the words of Christ and how he taught us on how to socialize, how to interact, interact with one another. And he also taught us how to interact with our Heavenly Father, how to interact with God. And, and, and today we're going to continue in this series and we're going to look at the mathematics of God, the mathematics of God. I, I need to kind of preface this today that we've actually cut a song out of the, the, the worship set today because of so much information that I, I need to get to you. And I'm going to try my best to stay close to my iPad because I know me and I know that if I stay close to this, I'll get through the information. If I start walking, I tend to, to get off on a tangent. And, and so this is so important. The information is so important today that I want to make sure that we get it. Now, if, if you will stay with me, okay, listen close. If you'll stay with me and you'll stay glued in, at the end of this, I promise you there's going to be some hope. I promise you it's going to be life-changing for you, but you got to stay with me. I, I, I'm just going to jump right in and, and just kind of set up this scenario. And, and as I do that, I want you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 15 in your Bible or digital device. John chapter 15. On the night that Jesus was betrayed after the Last Supper, uh, 11 men, possibly 11 men, followed Jesus downstairs. And uh, we, we say that because we don't know exactly who. We know some disciples were with him. Judas obviously was not with him. He had just left to betray Jesus. And so we're guessing that the other 11 um, followed Jesus down the stairs, out of the upper room where they just had the Last Supper, into the cool night air. And some of them were most likely carrying some type of lamp or torches to, to light the path, as, as that's how people had to travel at night. And they walked down through the winding streets of Jerusalem, out of the city gates. And, and having been there, I think I know what this may, may have looked like. I, they, they probably would have taken a left at that moment, following the Kidron Valley, up towards the Mount of Olives. And, and along the way, uh, uh, there, there's terraces that kind of follow the curve of the valley. And this would have put them walking through ancient vineyards. Ancient vineyards as they're walking through. And it is here where Jesus stops in the moonlight and he holds a grapevine in his hand and he teaches a lesson on divine mathematics that is life-changing for them, for the early church, and even for us as believers. But we've got to glean from this. We've got to understand what was happening in this moment because this wasn't just an evening stroll, church. No, this was an educational field trip. And we all love field trips, right? You remember it was in school, the day of the field trip. It was great. 
This was a field trip with them, and it is crucial. The information that Jesus has to put in their hearts is so critical because we know that this is going to be the last night. He is about to be arrested. He will then be tried and crucified. And so this is the last moment that he has in his earthly ministry before his resurrection that that he is able to instill into them some of these divine attributes and, 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 and to really put the mathematics of God in side of them. When Mandy and I visited Israel in 2018, one of the most fascinating things to me was the vast amounts of vineyards. It, it seemed like everywhere that we went, there was a vineyard. When we first arrived in Israel, um, we flew into Tel Aviv, and then we drove directly to the Negev Desert in southern Israel. We were in that bottom point of Israel, not far from Egypt on one side and, and Jordan on the other side. To my surprise, even in the desert where rain is scarce, there were vineyards. It amazed me. And the Bible speaks of the promised land of Israel flowing with milk and honey. But a better description would have been flowing with wine and olive oil because everywhere you go in Israel, there are vineyards and olive trees. Everywhere. It's plentiful. From the desert to the Judean hillside to the upper Galilee region and even in the Golan Heights, there are vineyards Everywhere they are plentiful. I cannot stress that enough to you, church. Trust me when I say there were vineyards everywhere. Knowing that he would soon be arrested, Jesus picks this object lesson that he knows they can all relate to. How many of you know that if you're communicating to a crowd, you got to know your crowd? Jesus picks this subject, and, and, and in order to put some divine attributes into their hearts, he, he picks this object lesson that they can all relate to, because grapes are the one commodity that you can find from Dan to Beersheba in Israel, from the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. These men had spent their lives surrounded by vineyards. So with this very familiar surrounding, Jesus begins his object lesson, John chapter 15 and verse 1. He says these words, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's three facts in this horticulture analogy here. The first one is this. Jesus is the vine. He made it very plain. That's how he started this. This, this little teaching here, he started it with, I am the vine. He makes it very plain. He is the vine. He tells us that God the Father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. God the Father is the one taking care and grooming the plants. The third one is, we are the branches. Jesus says, we are the branches, and you have to stay connected to the vine as the branches. And, and he stresses that numerous times, the importance of us staying connected to him. 
In the vineyard, the branches are the focus of the gardener's efforts because the gardener knows that they produce the fruit. But make no mistake about this message. Jesus was pushing this, and the key word is fruit. Somebody say fruit. The key word is fruit. God wants our lives to be fruitful. He wants our lives to produce fruit. That is the goal that God has for every one of our lives. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, then God wants your life to be fruitful. He wants it to be producing fruit for his kingdom. Fruit, the definition. The actions and attitude, character and conduct that our lives produce. When God speaks about fruit, he is talking about the production of our lives. The word fruit is attached to the things that that we produce. Let me explain it to you like this. When a woman is pregnant, we speak of that baby being the fruit of her womb. When we work and we labor, that is the fruit of our hands as we work. The Bible speaks about our worship to God with our praise when we verbalize it, and it is referred to as the fruit of our lips. And the goal is for our lives to be fruit-bearing, and that means that, that we have to stay connected, abide in the vine, stay with Jesus. But according to what Jesus said in the vineyard that night, and he was very clear on this, the goal is not no fruit. If your, your life is producing no fruit, that's not the goal. The goal is not some fruit. The goal is not even more fruit. The goal is much fruit. Jesus made it plain to his disciples that night in that vineyard that the goal for your life is that you would not just produce some fruit, but that you would produce much fruit. Somebody say much fruit. And in order to get more fruit and much fruit, you've got to experience multiplication. This is divine mathematics, church. This is God's desire, okay? And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sh- kind of shift gears here. Stay with me, but this is important for us. From the beginning of humanity, God's plan has always been multiplication. We are okay with addition. We experience and tolerate subtraction. It happens. We hate division. But God's plan for our lives has and always will be multiplication. Genesis 1 and 28, at the beginning of humanity, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. We get over to the New Testament, and Jesus was teaching a large crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, and, and no one thought about bringing lunch, and, and, and he, he didn't just add to the five loaves and the two fish, uh, you know, enough for him to eat or enough for, for him and the disciples. No, no, that's not what he did. He multiplied the loaves and fish, and he fed 5,000 men plus the women and children, and there was so much multiplication that took place that the Bible says that there were 12 12 basketfuls left over. We get to the book of Acts, and the early church experienced multiplication. On the day of Pentecost, the church grew from 120 believers, and Peter preaches his first message, and after that first message, multiplication takes place, and they go from 120 believers to over 3,000 through one sermon. I have never had those kind of results, ever. 
One sermon, they go from 120 to over 3,000 believers. That church is multiplication. Recently, Pastor Andrew preached a message in our Flip the Script series, and, and I alluded to this passage last week. And if you remember, Peter, he, he approached Jesus, trying to impress Jesus on the subject of forgiveness. And um, we, we don't know how many of the disciples were married. We don't, but we do know Peter was because Jesus healed his mother-in-law one time. And so I can only imagine what argument that he had had with his wife. And he had probably, probably forgiven her six times that day. And now he comes to Jesus and he says, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Seven? It sounds like a good number, right? Like I can forgive that woman one more time. That's it. Jesus looks at him and he says, not seven times, but 70 times Seven. You see, God's not interested in addition. God wants multiplication from our lives. His goal has been from the beginning, it is today, and it will always be multiplication in everything that we do, everything that we say, every life that we touch. God desires multiplication from our lives, and he longs for us to experience multiplication corporately as a body of believers, but also he wants us to experience it individually. And it is for this reason, church, that, that I will never apologize for church growth. Listen, if you know me, if you know my ministry, you know God has opened doors for me to speak with pastors often uh, about church growth. And, and it's something that I don't apologize for. We have seen tremendous growth over the past 15 years in what God has done in our church. And if God can use that to inspire other pastors, then, then so be it. Let, let's, let's dive into that. I get to teach ministerial internship students from time to time, and, and I get to teach them on church growth. But I remember this one time, uh, I was sitting at this table at at an event for pastors, and I was sitting at this table with a group of five or six pastors around the table, and one of them that that happened to pastor a smaller church. Now listen, I'm not knocking that, okay? Hear hear me out. He happened to pastor a smaller church, and and he looked at me, and, and it was kind of a jab, you know, kind of a, a backhanded compliment, I guess, a little bit. But he, but he looked at me, and he just explained to me and to the other pastors at the table that, that God desires for some churches to stay small. That he uses them in a, in a different way, but God desires for them to stay small. I just let him kind of dig his own hole that day. I didn't say a word. I didn't correct him. I did not rebuke him. But church, listen to me. Does God desire for churches to stay small? Probably not. It goes against the multiplication process of the Great Commission. And God probably allows it and tolerates it more than he ordains it. I will never apologize for the growth of our church, neither should you. It's not knocking any other church or any smaller church or anything like that. Please hear me out. I know that they're full of good people, God-fearing people, and God will use them. But never get, fall into that trap of, of saying that, that for some reason bigger is, is bad. It's not. And as it relates to us as individuals, I'm afraid sometimes that we try and we complicate the move of God in our lives. And so here's what we do. And some of you have done this in your own personal life. We try to create some kind of formula, some kind of equation. God blessed us in this season of life, and we want to duplicate that in the next season of life. And so we study this season, and we try and, and, and dot every I and cross every T and do everything just like we did here. And what we're doing is we're trying to create some kind of equation, some kind of formula that based on 
on the past, but listen, serving God, it's not meant to be confusing. It's not meant to be complicated. It's not algebra. It's not trig. It's not calculus. It's certainly not common core. And all the parents said amen. It's basic math. The kingdom of God is basic math. And the problem with formulaic Christianity is that if you get one column off, just one column off, if just one of the digits is wrong in one of the columns, it throws off the whole equation. And that is not the way our God works. I thank God for grace that is greater than my sin. I thank God that when I'm not quite getting it right in this column of my life, that I need grace in this column, that he's also blessing me in another column. Now, I don't know about you, but, but very seldom is my whole life ever lined up perfectly and just in tune with, with heaven and, and, and everything that God has to offer for me. It, it, it's maybe happened a few times, but usually if I'm, if I'm succeeding here, I'm struggling here. Am I in good company today? Or maybe, maybe I should just dismiss you and just preach to myself today. Maybe it's just me. You have to understand, church, it's faith and forgiveness over formulas in the kingdom of God. It's basic math. But God's arithmetic, it it seldom makes sense to us because we've learned it, and it's the way God designed it. By the way, all of science and all of medicine and and, and everything that, 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 that there is, it all, it all is formed from the mathematics, the divine mathematics of God. They can't succeed. They may not even believe in God, but everything, the way nature moves and and, and the way that the stars and the planets and everything works together, it's all mathematical. And, And it proves to us that there is a higher being. It proves to us that there is intelligent design and they can't accomplish what they accomplish without the mathematics of God. So he gave us these mathematics. We we live our lives by these, but understand that the creator of these mathematics reserves the right to change them up at any moment if he wants to and God often does as it relates to him dealing with his church and dealing with us as individuals because God's arithmetic seldom makes sense to us God's methods of blessing us defy human logic in Isaiah 55 and 8 it says my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts how many of you are thankful that God's thoughts are nothing like your thoughts you remember what you thought about your spouse on the way to church aren't you glad God doesn't think about them like that You remember how you wanted to strangle your child last night? Thank God he doesn't do that, right? He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And the miracle of God's arithmetic is that he does not add and subtract using the same rules that we do. Let me show you. Sometimes God subtracts in order to add. That doesn't make sense to us. I'll show you how that works. Sometimes, God will divide in order to multiply. It doesn't make sense to us. And his increase in our lives often comes through a season of less or even loss. Let me explain it like this. There was this little boy that, that he was the only one in that group of 5,000 men plus women and children. He was the only one that thought about bringing a lunch that day. I don't know why. A little kid is the only one that thought this thing through. And he shows up with his loaves and his fish. Enough for him. He gives it. He adds it to a fruitless situation. He 
adds addition. He adds it to a fruitless situation. Jesus subtracts it from his life. He takes it from him, takes it away from him. He's the only one that had food, and now it is taken away from him by God. Jesus then tells his disciples to have these 5,000 men plus women and children to divide them into groups of 50. And it is then and only then that we get to see divine multiplication take place as he multiplies the loaves and the fish and they have 12 basketfuls left over. You see, in everything in our lives, Whatever we give to God or whatever God takes away, if we allow him to, God wants to use it to produce fruit. And church, there should never be any doubt that part of that fruit is for us to bring others to Christ. We know in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we know that part of the fruit of our lives has to be the harvest field, and bringing lost to come to know Jesus Christ. But there is no reason for us to limit the meaning of fruit to just winning souls. It is winning souls, but it's not just winning souls. Throughout the word of God, the words fruit and good works are interchangeable. Often, you'll find them interchangeable. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So he tells us that your life will be fruitful through good works. And the fruit of good works may be a thought, attitude, or action of ours that bring glory to, the, to, to, to God on earth. Jesus said in John 15 and 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now remember this, church. I've said this so many times. But, but we are not saved by our good works. We're only saved by what Jesus did for us. So we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for our good works. But, but let's, let's take it a little bit deeper. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it expresses to us, the word of God expresses to us the need for inner fruit because that inner fruit will become very visible to everyone else when it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit that should be, this is the much fruit that should be evident in our lives. And Jesus was explaining to these men that a little of this fruit is not enough. It's just not enough. Some of this fruit is just not enough. If you got some of this fruit in your life, it's still not enough. The gardener, God the Father, he wants an abundance of fruit from our lives. He desires multiplication, not just addition. He wants multiplication from your life, and then he shares with them how God gets this done. Whew, that's my intro. Let's look at the branches that do not bear fruit first. Once again, John 15, verses one and two, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Hold on to those three words, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I will now attempt to completely mess up your theology with a proper translation of the words of Christ. Those words, he takes away. The New International Version and the New Living Translation translated as, he cuts off. 
The King James Version says, he taketh away. The English Standard Version of our text today said, he takes away. The Amplified Bible says, he cuts away. This is very unfortunate in translation. Because the actual Greek word that is used, I've looked it up, and, and listen, if I ever, and if anyone ever tells you that something was, was mistranslated in the Bible, go research it yourself. Don't just take my word for it or any Bible teacher's word for it. You go explore it yourself. I don't have time to wait on you today, so you're going to have to take my word for it, but study it later, okay? The actual Greek word that is used in John chapter 15 and verse 2 is the Greek word iro. The Greek lexicon gives us the definition for iro. It says to raise up, elevate, to lift up. A second definition is to raise from the ground, to lift up. This is a completely different translation. When we find what the word means and, and, and we translate it properly, it doesn't mean to cut away. It doesn't mean to discard of. It, it means to raise up. We find more accurate translations of this word Iro in Matthew chapter 14 when the disciples took up 12 basketfuls uh, of food uh, after feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children. They, they iro, they took up. When Simon from, from Cyrene was forced to iro or lift up, carry the cross of Christ, that was in Matthew chapter 27. In fact, in both the Bible and in Greek literature, iro never means to cut off. It's very unfortunate, and this unfortunate mistranslation of this has left a misinformed picture of our Heavenly Father and who He really is. And, and, and I really want to speak to those in the room that right now you don't have a relationship with Jesus. This is so important that you understand this because somewhere along the way, somebody has taught you that God is angry with you, that God just wants to barbecue your butt and get it over with. And this is the farthest thing from the truth because a better translation of verse 2 would have been, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. And so you need to understand that the key word here is in me. If you are not in him, he's very plain that, that there will be a day that, that you're thrown away, you wither, and then, and then you burn up. But, but he says you can be in me. And when you're in me, then, then there's going to be moments that he's going to have to raise you up. I, I, I did some studying on this a few years ago, and, and, I, and I, I found out that new branches on a, on a grapevine, new branches have a tendency to trail along the ground. To, they, they trail down, and then they grow along the ground. They just don't grow up naturally. They, they have a tendency with gravity just to go down, but they can't bear fruit down there. And, and when they grow along the ground, their leaves get t covered in dust. And, and when it rains, they get muddy. And, and if you're not careful, soon they will have mildew. But, but gardeners don't cut them off. They, they don't cut them up and throw them away. No, the branch is way too valuable for that. They see that there's potential for fruit there and the gardener will go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for these branches growing through the muck, through the mud and he will lift them up and he will scrub them off with a sponge or with a rag and he will clean them off and then he will redirect them in the trellis knowing, knowing that there's potential for fruit there. And soon, because of his care, they will be thriving. When we as branches fall into the dirt, God does not throw us away. He doesn't discard us. No, your God is faithful to lift you up, to clean you off, and to redirect your life. 
Somebody here, you're struggling with that today. You feel like your life is just too dirty. It's too messed up. You've gone too far, but God wants you to know today that he is a gracious gardener that wants to come alone, and he wants to clean you up, get you out of the muck, get you out of the miry clay, and he wants to redirect your life. If your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene to uh, discipline you and and redirect your life. And listen, church, I know discipline is, is what, it's, it's not pleasant. It's what happens when God steps into a Christian's life and he lifts us away from our own destructive and unfruitful paths and pursuits. Listen to Deuteronomy 8 and 5. He says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Satan has a heyday. He, he loves to try to get you to believe that God is disciplining you because you are a worthless branch and he just wants to discipline you and throw you away and that's not, that's not why he disciplines you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses five and six says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So when you're disciplined by God, it's because he loves you, it's because he cares about you. Hebrews 12 and 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And some people, not you, but some people will go their whole lives fighting the process of discipline. And you have to understand, it's just that the gardener loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so he walks through the vineyard and he cleans the leaves and he cleans the branches because he wants your life fruitful. But some fruit is not enough. This is where it really gets painful. Some of you are not going to like this. I promise you you're not going to like it. Because this is such a painful process. You have some fruit But the outcome that he wants is not just some fruit, it's more fruit and eventually much fruit. The first example that Jesus showed them was a barren branch. The second branch that he grabbed had some some clusters of grapes on it. Listen to verse 2 again. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God's plan for creating a greater harvest out of a branch that is already producing is not a a, a process that you and I prefer because he prunes, he thins, he reduces, he cuts away. And as crazy as it sounds, church, the gardener's plan for more is less. The way that he gets more out of your life is by cutting away and creating less in your life. Here's what one gardening report that I read said. Because of the grapevine's tendency to grow so vigorously, a lot of the vine must be cut away each year. Grapevines can become so dense that the sun cannot reach into the area where fruit should form. See, church, a grapevine will always favor new growth over more fruit. And as human beings... We always prefer more growth over more fruit. We want the promotion. We want the car. We want the raise. 
We want the accolades, the recognition. We want, 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 want. We're looking for, for density is what we're looking for. Because we think that adds value to our lives, but what we don't realize is that all that density is keeping the sun, S-O-N, the sunlight from shining in and producing fruit in our lives. For Christians, this growth is represented by all the preoccupations and priorities in our lives that may not necessarily be sinful. They just simply keep us from significant ministry and being fruitful for the kingdom of God. And without pruning, growing Christians will only reach a portion of the potential that God has for them. So listen to this. If, if no fruit is about sin, some fruit is about self. And in pruning, God asks you to let go of the things that keep you from producing more fruit. One of the most frustrating things for me to endure, or was to endure as a parent when my kids were younger, and it, it's really hard for me to endure with some of your kids, um, but is when a kid gets hurt and you don't see the accident, you don't see what happened, and they get hurt and they come running up to you and they're sobbing, they're crying, you know, and it's, it's one of those, you know, <laughs> you know, and they just can't get the words out. You, you've been there and you're like, show me where it hurts and, and you can't get them under control enough to actually find out where it hurts. It's frustrating. One of the frustrating things for me as a pastor is when we have believers that they can't stop crying long enough to actually show you where it hurts. You can't get them to stop whining, to stop complaining, to really get to the heart of the issue because it seems to me that we find our identity sometimes in the hurt, in the pain, when what we need is just to stop for a moment, find out what's really going on, point to what hurts, and then let's get to the bottom of that and fix it. Because church, we've got to learn to see every trial as a chance to grow in the Lord and to let that trial bring forth harvest. Let me tell you, there's nothing you've gone through, there's nothing you will not go through in the future that cannot bring forth a harvest. James 1 verses 2 through 4 said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, he talked about the test of faith here. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. These are the various trials and hardships that invite you to surrender something of great value to God, even though you've got every right not to. Let me show you. This is my marriage. Is it? This is my marriage. But in the pruning, God may require that you give up your rights so that your marriage can become, become more abundant. This one's hard, especially for, for moms. These are my kids. Don't mess with my kid. My kid. My, I thought children are a heritage of the Lord. And God may require that you give up your methods so that you can experience a harvest in, your, in the lives of your children. This is my career, and God may prune you by asking you to give up promotions that will hinder you from being productive for the kingdom and producing fruit in your family. I like this one. This is my church. 
Last time I checked, it's still his. It's still his church. And pruning is painful. It's always painful, but it's necessary to get more fruit. About 11 months after we moved to Newberry, we were renting a house, and the landlords had just moved out, and, and they were moving out to Colorado, so Mandy and I rented their house. And the wife of the, the landlord team, they, uh, she told me, she said, now these are going to come back. She pointed to some dead plants on the ground. She says, these are wildflowers, and they're going to come back. They'll be big, bountiful, beautiful. And I said, okay. Spring came around, and there was like three little shoots and a couple of buds, and I'm like, that's it. That's, that's ugly. So I went to the shed. I got my, my pruning shears. It's about the only time I've ever used them. And I cut all the dead plant around them away. It just looked awful. Threw it away. Next week I came out and there's more shoots coming up. Before the end of spring, it was bountiful and beautiful. It, it was everywhere. What happened? It had to be pruned. You had to get rid of the old dead growth that, that was just left behind. Pruning is painful, but it's necessary to get more fruit. And so, I, I just want to ask you this. Where is God pruning you? Because I promise you he is. He, he never leaves us alone. The gardener is always active with his shears. Where is God pruning you? And I can probably help you answer that question. Tell me where it hurts. Tell me where it hurts. Because it tends to hurt wherever God may be pruning. Tell me where it hurts. The pain comes from the point where his shears are snipping something away. And in closing, I want, I want to tell you, I, I know this, this pain firsthand. I'm about to share something that I'm going to be very guarded with. And I think most everyone in the room will understand, and, and I, I don't want to talk about it. I just want you to understand that I'm, I'm being guarded with it. So there are details that will not be shared. I don't say what I'm about to say with contempt. I, I, I'm not trying to cast shame or throw shade at anyone. To be quite honest, in preparing this message, it, it brought healing to me. Because... I now see the Lord's pruning. It took me a moment to get there, but it was necessary. Two times in our church's history, God has pruned. The first time was in December of 2007. There was a family, I will, there, no names. Very few people in the church will even know who they are. We were only running about 100, maybe 125 people at the time, and there was a family that we were close to, very close to. We had vacationed with them. They'd become great friends, but for some reason in December of 2007, a little after one year of us being a church, they decided that DCC was not for them. They didn't, they didn't even want to be a part anymore. And I'll just tell you as a pastor, you know, we, we're taught not to take it personal. 
whatever. I mean, you would. It's hard. It's tough. With them was the matriarch and patriarch of the family, grown kids, their spouses and their kids, and even some extended family members. All in all, we lost about 15 people. And when you're a church of 100, 125 people, 15 people leaving all at one time, it's painful. I felt like we were going in the wrong direction and trying to grow a church. Everything was critical during that time, too. I will say this. They left quietly. There's something to be said for that. However, it was still very painful. And I didn't understand it at the time. However, we had reached a place where we were stagnant. For a year, we had, we had grown, 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 and all of a sudden, we found ourselves stagnant. And God took us through a pruning. And immediately, the next week, new people started coming. We witnessed something similar last year. As we were coming out of a 10-week stay-at-home order. It was a perfect storm, to be honest. And there were about 30 to 40 people that I love and I care. Even to this day, I love them and I care for them. If anybody ever tells you any different, you tell them they're a liar. I love and care for them and I pray for them. But there was 30, 40 people maybe that just decided that this was no longer the church for them. No conversation, very few. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Very few that I have a conversation with. And for whatever reason, they never transitioned into this building. We left a middle school where we were portable for 11 and a half years, and they, they never came here. And it hurt. And I didn't understand it. And I still don't. To be honest, I don't. And I wanted to blame someone else. I mean, if something like that happens, there's, there's got to be someone at fault, right? But the truth is, sometimes God just wants to prune us. And pruning is painful. There's, I'm not going to lie to you, church. When you go through a season of pruning, it is not fun. And it hurts. And you scratch your head and you lose sleep. And it's, it's just a painful process. But sometimes God just wants to prune. And listen, if you or any online troll today wants to read any more into that, that's between you and God I said what I, what I wanted to say, and that's it. Pruning is always painful in the moment, and God wanted to prune DCC. That's all I can tell you. But here's the promise. Pruning always leads to more fruit. And the goal for God, with this, uh, the, the goal God has for this church is not just fruit, and not just more fruit, but much fruit. 
That's the goal that he has for us. And so he takes us through a painful pruning. And let me tell you a little bit about this church. This church has always produced fruit. We're great at serving inside and outside the walls of our church. We're great at serving our community and serving each other. We're great at assimilating and getting people involved in ministry, showing them God's direction. And and, and God has blessed us with opportunities to lead people to a relationship with Jesus. It's amazing how many people throughout the years, hundreds that we've seen come to know Jesus Christ. But you have to understand that even with all of that, even with the branches that are producing some fruit God doesn't want just some fruit he wants much fruit and what God has done over this past year and is continuing to do right now is nothing short of extraordinary church it's multiplication and you'll know that you have been pruned by the evidence of new growth since June of 2020 We have witnessed so many new faces that have come in to be a part of the DCC family. You're now a part of us, and we welcome you here. But let me tell you one of the things that I'm ecstatic about. We had so many people that were on the fringes. They attended, but but now all of a sudden they are are sold out. They are on board. They, they are part of the process. Man, these people are, are the ones that are helping us become more fruitful. Since June of 2020, when we moved into this building, 193 people have made Jesus the Lord of their life in in a regular worship service right here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. 193 individuals said yes to Jesus. That's not counting Vacation Bible School. In addition to that, 111 children professed Jesus as their Lord at VBS or rededicated their lives to him. 276 different children attended Vacation Bible School this year, the most in DCC history. Ministries are multiplying. We're watching our women's ministry. We're watching it explode. We're honored with, with, with the middle school moms and daughters. We, that has just been a huge blessing. Various small groups. Buy a tree, change a life. Church, in the middle of all of this, in the middle of pruning, you bought into something that we've had our eye on for three or four years, and you said, we want to be a part of Buy a Tree, Change a Life. And, and we raised $42,000 for missions. 21000 went to the mission field, foreign mission field. 21000 stayed in this community. And even tomorrow, Mark Woodstuff, our director, is going to be delivering backpacks full of school supplies to the elementary school. This is what happens when God prunes. And I know I don't talk about finances a lot because I know that there's a stigma with pastors and finances. And, and, and I get it. And, and However, I, I also know what God has called me to teach. But financially, the Lord has blessed us tremendously. Over this past year, there's been seven different months during the pandemic that we have broke previous giving records setting us up for success 
as, as we decide on Sunday, August the 22nd, on how to move forward with our student center that's going to sit right behind here. And let me tell you, the council and I, we have worked hard to get us to this place. But you are going, those of you that are members that will attend that meeting, you are going to be amazed at what God has done in our church financially. Think about it. Seven different giving records that have been broken during a pandemic. That means we broke one in, in March we broke it again the next month, and it just kept multiplying as God multiplied the finances. He has done exceedingly and abundantly above all that I can ask or think. The, the pruning was painful, but church, the harvest is plentiful. Amen. And, and what God wants you to know, that's corporately, but what God wants you to know about your individual life is that he wants to do the exact same thing for you. Some of you, you're going through a pruning process right now, and it's one of the most painful moments of your life. I've been there. But it's necessary. And you don't see his hand of provision yet. You don't see his hand of blessing yet. But I encourage you, you stay connected to the vine. Jesus said, if you will just stay connected to me, you don't run from me, you stay connected to me, and you let the Father, you let the gardener do his work, and as he cleans you up, and as he prunes you, and as he redirects your life, he promises us that there is going to be much fruit, and you have never experienced abundant life until you experience the abundance of much fruit in your life. And I'm walking in that right now. I get to see that unfold in my own life. I've got the front row seat for it. And I'm watching. As my ministry right now, my personal life, is more fruitful than it's ever been. And he's no respecter of persons. If he wants to do that for me, I promise you he's going to do it for you. Stay connected to that vine. Stay faithful. Let the gardener do the work. And you watch as much fruit comes forth out of your life. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.